Touch our lives and hearts, God, as we look into the Word of God. Thank you for your many blessings upon us. Thank you for this time of year, Lord, and what it represents. It represents your coming to this world. Jesus, we glorify your name for everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, and greet them in Jesus' name. We're delighted for all of you that are here. And before you sit down, aren't these flowers up here beautiful? These are beautiful. I like all this stuff for Christmas. And uh, wasn't that cantata Sunday night fabulous? I mean, if you were here Sunday night, last Sunday night. Like all of our musicians, God bless them. And they've been working, you know, for several days, I don't know, weeks or whatever, you know, putting all together. Sister Lisa wrote a lot of those songs. Brother, Brother uh, David Myers, our pastor, mentioned all that. And I didn't realize she had written so many of the songs in that cantata herself. And so I know that, you know, you borrow music for the words. Sometimes you borrow words to put you to your own music, whatever. But uh, she just made it a beautiful cantata for all of And it was a good presentation. Amen. I'm going to uh, go into a, a, a little different part of our Christmas uh, series here. Uh, and this, this is going to be for the next two weeks. And uh, I want to give you what I have titled to be 10 Supernatural Events Surrounding the Birth of Christ. And I'm going to mention about half of those a day, and next week we'll mention the last half thereabouts, however the time gives us for it. And the reason that I want to talk to you about it is because the, uh, the Jewish people had not had or seen a move of God or heard from God, or no one had experienced God visiting them in any fashion or form for 400 years before Jesus came. There had been no supernatural experiences. Malachi was the last book written in the Old Testament, and he wrote it 400 years before Christ. And for the next 400 years, there was no prophet from the Lord. There was no voice from God. There was no instructions. There was no visitations, it seemed like, from God. Israel was like uh, they were on hold. And uh, they were trying to believe everything that came along. And they just uh, floundered from one thing or another. And to make matters worse, the political situation had really developed in a very terrible way. Uh, We call it the 400 years of silence. But in actuality, uh, it was not silent at all. It was a period of what's called the Maccabees. Uh, there is uh, books and writings about it in Jewish literature and Jewish history. There's a large section of it put in there. And what happened was that Ele- when Alexander the Great romped, uh, you know, in his, in his uh, taking over the world and everything, and he just conquered the whole world that was before him, the media Persian Empire conquered it. And he did it in a very short period of time, died at the age of 33. His four generals took over that Grecian empire, and they separated and divided into four different parts. This is all recorded in the Bible that it would happen that way. And uh, whenever this developed, uh, one of those generals uh, by the name of uh, the Seleucus uh, took over the part called Syria. Syria is a country north of Israel. And he was over Syria and Iraq and Iran, and he dominated that particular area. Uh, one of the other generals was a guy named Ptolemy. It's spelt with a P, P-T-O-L-E-M-E-Y. 
The P is silent, but anyhow, it's pronounced Ptolemy. Ptolemy was another one of the generals that took over the southern uh, part of, of south of Israel, rather, in, which was Egypt and all that land that surrounded it. Well, there are others that took over the other part up around Turkey and up around Greece and Macedonia and so forth. But these two powers in the south were on both sides of Israel and they fought each other and Israel was always the battleground. And sometimes the Egyptians would conquer Israel and sometimes the Syrians would move in and fight the Egyptians and they would conquer back over and take over Israel. And they were spreading constantly, both of those groups or many empires was uh, spreading the Greek influence, which was called Hellenism. You can go to some libraries and you will see volumes of books on the conflict between Judaism and Hellenism, which was the Grecian influence that was upon the, the Jews. And so they became fighters. They fought, they fought hard. And the, the guy by the name of Maccabee, uh, who was a priest, he rose up and he began to fight the Assyrians especially. And he began to fight them off. And then he had a son named Judas. He took over after him. After Judas had gotten killed in battle, then his younger brother John took over. And it went on like this. And the, this dynasty of the Maccabees called the Hashemans, they, uh, they pretty well ruled that period of time. But it was a period of fighting and conflict. There was no prophet. There was no word from God. It was a lot of conflict right on up until the Roman Empire finally stepped in and conquered that whole area. They made peace or conquered uh, the, uh, the Egyptian. The last of that Ptolemy dynasty was, was Cleopatra of Egypt. And uh, she was, you know, killed by, by uh, I mean, not killed, but she committed suicide. Her and Mark Anthony, they were together on it and they, they both committed suicide. And uh, when they did, well, then uh, Caesar took over, Augustus Caesar took over and then ruled the empire. And that's where we pick up in the word of God. When Jesus was born, Augustus Caesar had been ruling in, in, in uh, the empire for about 20 years. Now, the reason I'm telling you all of that is because up until what I'm going to show you today, nothing, just nothing had happened spiritually. And for 400 years, they had not heard from the Lord and suddenly... Everything began to happen, and it wasn't just suddenly either because it was a span of time involved there. But I want to show you things, and I'm going to begin, if you'd have your Bibles and turn to Luke, there will be a few scriptures that we will have already looked at in the last couple of weeks, but we're just going to touch on them today. But if you look in Luke chapter 1 and verse 5, I want to start with the very first event that happened, and uh, it had to do with a man by the name of Zacharias. If you look in Luke 1 and 5, and this is what it says. I'm going to read down 5 through 7, just these three verses. That was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah. A, notice here, Herod was the king. Herod had married the last of the Hashemite women and had become king through her influence. And he used her to influence himself. He was actually an Edomite. His father was an Edomite not even Jewish at all. Herod the Great was not even a Jewish. And uh, they, uh, he married this Jewish woman. He became then somehow or another through the Roman government, giving him favors, he became the king and so forth. And in order for him to be liked and wanted and respected by the Jews, he embellished the temple, which was Zerubbabel's temple, and made it 
and just embellished it, made it greater and bigger. I'll show you a picture of it in a few moments, which is not a real picture. It's just an artist's drawing of it. And he did all of that in order to find favor with the Jews and for them to look to him. And it was always called then Herod's Temple. That's where in the days of Christ, Herod's Temple was the temple that was in Jerusalem at the time. Now, look with us in this first chapter, verse 5. Uh, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Aaron, of course, was the father of the priesthood. So these people were all in the priesthood, both Zacharias and also Elizabeth, the daughter. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of it, but let me just tell you what happens here. Uh, Zacharias goes into the temple of the Lord to, uh, to do his duties, which was burning incense at the altar of incense. Now, I'm going to show you a picture here of, uh, of Herod's temple. And uh, this is... This is taken out of a book, of course, you can see it's, a, and uh, it's an artist's drawing of how the Herod's temple may have looked. Uh, there was an outer enclosure around it, which you see here. There was that brazen altar that was outside where they made all the sacrifices. This fire you see is just on the corner here, but there's brazen altar here, which is right here, right, right in where that fire is. And then behind that was a layer of water where they had to wash before they went into the temple here. And when they went into the temple, there were, there were objects. And this is where also the altar of incense was, where Zacharias had gone on this particular day. Now, we don't have a cutaway of Herod's temple, but Herod's temple was designed after the old tabernacle. And of course, the tabernacle was what God gave to Moses and when David wanted to, to embellish this and make a great temple for God, the Lord gave, to the, gave the plans to Solomon. And Solomon, of course, followed it, and it was identical to the layout, but it was just embellished. This is how it looked in Herod's day. Solomon's temple was somewhat like that, but it was different. I mean, a little different, but not a whole lot different. But the layout was good. This is the layout of the old tabernacle. Now, the reason I'm showing you that is that here's the labor, here's the burnt... Here's the altar of the sacrifice. Here's the labor of water that's right here. And uh, then you went through the door, unfortunately, the door into the, into the tabernacle itself, which later was the temple. Inside was the uh, candle, the seven golden candlesticks, which was the light of God. Over here was the table of showbread where there were 12 loaves of bread. And then when you got up to the curtain, the curtain part here that separated the holy of the place from the holy of holies in the back, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was. This Shekinah glory would come down once a year, of course, and God would approve of their sacrifices. But right in front of it here, right in front was the altar of incense. In other words, it was as close to that inner room as you could possibly get. Nobody ever went into that inner room but the high priest once a year. And that's all about, the, and that's a great lesson. I could give you a uh, six-month study on the tabernacle plan. It's got many wonderful things we can learn from that. But the point I want to bring out to you here is simply that Zacharias went in there 
stood at that altar of incense and it was a little small altar that was 18 inches square and it was about, it was about three feet high and had little horns on it and so forth. It was just like the one outside and they would put incense on there and it would be a little fire and they would burn incense on it and it would send an aroma throughout the entire temple. And this was what his job was. It was his job doing that. Now, what I'm going to do is just simply take this off for right now so you can see the, the temple itself better. And he went inside. And so when he went inside, uh, he was doing this altar of incense. And suddenly, there's a guy there. There's a guy that shows up. And uh, look at verse 11 here. I'm looking 111 here. This is one of the, the miraculous things that happened. There appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now, to identify who that was, look at verse 19 in that same Luke 1. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. So you have Gabriel, the angel, the same one that had visited Daniel way back in Daniel's time. And here's Gabriel now. He's standing here, and this is six months before he visits Mary to tell Mary she's going to have a baby. And so she's, he's, he appears there and Zacharias is sort of half scared to death. And he said, don't worry. He says, uh, you and your wife's going to have a baby and uh, you'll call his name John and he's going to be a forerunner for the Messiah that's coming and so forth. He gives them all that information. Zacharias doesn't believe that. And so in this 19th verse, he's an angel answered and said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee to show thee these glad tidings. Verse 20, and thou shalt be dumb. In other words, you can't talk and not able to speak until the day that these things should be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. So when he walked out, Zacharias couldn't say anything. And then he goes to describe it. He was all excited, but he couldn't talk. And everything and they said well he's seen something miraculous now this was the first miraculous thing gabriel appearing to zacharias to make a long story short it, it goes on and there is a uh, there is a you know there is uh, the gabriel that then visits mary so if you have your bibles there and you're in the first chapter of luke stay in the first chapter go over to verse 26 very quickly here here's the second miraculous event that takes place and in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy okay Elizabeth after that incident she became pregnant with John the Baptist and uh, and then in the six months of her pregnancy the angel Gabriel was sent from God uh, unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth now Nazareth is way up in the northern part of Israel and they, they are originally from the southern part of Israel. And that's, uh, that's an unusual situation. But God had it all in his plan, and I'll show you some things in a few moments about it. Uh, to a virgin, verse 27, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now he goes on to tell her that she's going to have a baby and be born, and she can't probably believe it. I, don't, I know no man, but this is, you'll be overshadowed with the Holy Ghost, and that should be born of you is of the Holy Ghost. We've already discussed it, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on it. Look at verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shall bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus, which means Savior. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. 
and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. This was a prophecy of Jesus' coming here that the angel gave to, to Mary whenever he, she, she was to be conceived of the Holy Ghost. Now, let me just talk to you a few minutes. Let me show you something. I want you to go to Daniel chapter 2 for a moment here. Uh, we're talking about these miraculous things and these angels. First, Zacharias now appearing to Mary. And it refers to Jesus as having a kingdom that would never end. And if you don't remember anything else, don't forget what I'm fixing to tell you here in a few minutes. But if you look in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, this kingdom is described that it would come during that Roman Empire, when the Roman Empire would finally come to fruition. What God had showed Daniel in chapter 2, there would be the Babylonian Empire, there'd be the Median Persian Empire, right? then that'd be the Grecian Empire, that'd be that Alexander the Great fellow. And then they would, then the Roman Empire would take over. And then he says here in verse 44, in the days of these kings, that is the Roman Empire, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. In other words, like the Babylonians passed along to the media Persian, not wanting to, they just took it over. And the Greeks took it over and, you know, it's passed along. This one won't be passed along shall set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, these Gentile kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Now uh, this is in chapter, four, uh, chapter 2 of, uh, of Daniel. If you were to go to chapter 7 which, which was a vision that Daniel had from God seven, uh, 50 years later and in the seventh chapter of Daniel, the Lord gives him the same layout of these empires that will rise and fall, and then finally the Roman Empire. I'm going to go to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 14. There was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that in all people, nations, and tongues shall serve him. That is Christ. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Verse 27 and the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Now, what I'm pointing out to you here is that the kingdom of God would start when Jesus came. When Jesus came, much of his miracles, and much of his ministry, I should say, and much of his uh, what his uh, parables that he gave was all about the com coming of the kingdom of God. And he would say the kingdom of God is like an unto, the soul who went forth to sow. Kingdom of God is like a woman who had leaven. Kingdom of heaven is like a men who would fish with their nets. He goes on on and he talks about the kingdom of heaven. John the Baptist, the Bible says, went forth preaching unto them the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of God, same thing depending on which gospel book you read, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven, amen, was what Jesus had brought, that it would be a spirit. He said it will not be an outward kingdom, but it will be within you. The kingdom of God will be within you. 
It is a kingdom that man will not see. There's no marching army. There's no power. There's no dictator. There's no robot around. It's something that will be in our hearts and in our lives. And what he was actually describing was the church. Now, just to substantiate that, I want you to look just for a moment here in, in Romans uh, 14, 17. Romans 14, 17. And it simply says, that for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. In the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord. And then also in that same book of Romans, uh, when, you, when you read these verses, just a few chapters before in Romans 8, 9, it says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. That's the Holy Ghost. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So what I'm pointing out to you here in these scriptures here is the Lord, praise the Lord, letting us know that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven on this earth that Jesus would set up when he would come, as the Bible talks, and he did set up, would be the church. And the Bible says it will stand forever. He later told uh, uh, Peter and the disciples, whom do men say that I am? They say, you, they say you're this. He said, whom do you say that I am? They said, there are the Christ. He said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, Jesus said that because he's God. He knows that. But also there's a, there's a lot of scriptures that back it up. You know, all these scriptures in Daniel I'm telling you about. And you say, Brother Myers, why are you putting so much emphasis on this? Because, folks, it's so important to get in the church. I don't mean this building. I'm talking about getting in the body of Christ, getting the Holy Ghost inside of you. Get in Christ and Christ in you. Praise the Lord. Get in this thing. Sometimes people play around in the shallow waters, you know. You ever go to the beach and you ever see people out swimming? And then there are some people that just splashing around the edge, you know, they run, you know, they, they play around. That's the way some people are about the gospel. They, they just, they, they get their feet away a little bit, make sure it's water and wet and everything. And they don't get any further. But get in this thing. This is where it all is. Get in the church and let the church get in your heart and walk with God. And if you're in the church, don't let Satan or nobody or nothing pull you out. I'm serious. I see sometimes people that have walked with God for a while and the next thing you know they're out here somewhere and they just they get tied up with other stuff and other you know one thing here one thing there be careful of anything that would turn your heart away from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is the head of the body we're the, I mean he's the head of the body we're the body praise the Lord this is his body this is his church praise the Lord and upon this rock, and also the rock can also mean not just Jesus Christ, but it's also the relationship. He said, whom do men say that I am? He said, thou art the Christ. He said, thou art Peter. And upon this rock, the relationship between Peter and Christ, upon this rock I'll build my church. It's built upon your relationship with Jesus Christ. You've got to know him. That's why prayer is so important. That's why going to church is so important. Uh, if you have to sacrifice Sometimes something else in order to be in the house of God, do it. And you know, sometimes friends and relatives and all kinds of people can crowd out your life until you don't have time to go to church. 
You don't have time. And when you go to church, folks, don't do this. And when you go to church, don't, don't do that. And don't do this. Write out checks. You know what I'm doing. Go to church and worship God. You can, you can sometimes just, just get to church sometimes and you feel like you, you know, you, you're going to set the world on fire and you just barely had your taillights burning when you walked in the back door. And you come in and you just feel like, oh man, I've been beat up by the world today. But if you will begin to worship God, if you will just say, Jesus, I love you. I praise you. I magnify you. I glorify you. I'm telling you, God will meet you halfway, but we've got to reach out to the Lord. This is the greatest thing going. Praise the Lord. There's a bank down here on, uh, on uh, Malabar Road. Years ago, uh, your pastor, uh, when he was at uh, Bible College up in Minnesota, he worked for 3M for the banking system of 3M, Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing. You, you're familiar with it. And uh, they liked him. They wanted to hire him. And so they said that we want to hire you and let you be, we'll raise you up and make you a, a banker. He was a teller that he worked part-time. He says, no, I can't do that because I'm going in the ministry and, uh, and I'm in Bible college. And when I graduate, I'm going to go out in the ministry, which is what he did. Okay. Later on, whenever he had to work part-time and he was an assistant in this church to me as a pastor, uh, he went down here to a bank and he this bank I'm telling you about, and he got a job there because he had the experience up there. They hired him. Sure enough, they, there's a guy that flew in from somewhere and said, look, we want to offer you a very good job with the banking system, and we will, uh, we will promote you, and you can become somebody really important in the banking industry and everything. And he says, well, that sounds good, everything. Well, I, I, if I can work it in with my ministerial activities. Oh, no. The guy said to my son, he said, what you're going to have to do, he says, is just give that up. You have to give that up and you'll have to just come full time with us. And he said, I'm afraid I can't do that. And the guy said, look, he got a little indignant about it. He said, when, when that church is all folded up and nobody's left and just a handful of people going to the church, he says, this bank will be flourishing and growing and you'll be somebody in this bank. And my son said, no, thank you. He said, I have a calling to God and I got to fulfill my calling. In fact, as of today, I resigned. I resigned and he walked away from it. Praise the Lord. I was with, I was with a man who was a multimillionaire from up north. He's a Pentecostal guy. And he asked me to go to Orlando with him as they were auctioning off buildings all over South Florida and down in the Bahamas. And these guys were all there buying this stuff. And he was one of them. And while we were together, they auctioned off that bank. <laughs> I said, that's the bank that offered my son. All is that you're going to be around for a long time, blah, 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 blah. You know, well, the bank's long gone. I mean, the bank building is still there. Somebody else bought it. Another bank moved in. And so another bank took it over even from that bank and so forth. But the church is still here. Praise God. <laughs> And folks, I'm telling you, kingdoms will rise and fall, but the church has survived. Ever since Jesus' time, the church has stayed. So I'm just trying to tell you, and I'm reading that verse, you know, back again that we were reading there in, uh, in, in, Luke, in Luke chapter 1, where that the angel's speaking about Mary, to Mary, and says, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. If you're not in the church, get in the church. 
And if you're in the church, stay in the church. Praise the Lord. And do that till Jesus come. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise Amen. Lord. God bless you. All right. Praise the Lord. Let's move on here a little bit. Uh, after the Lord appears unto Gabriel and, and, uh, and everything. Uh, then the, he appears unto Joseph. This is always interesting. Go to Matthew chapter 1, if you would, with me. Matthew 1. And uh, this is one that we've already read to you, where the, where the angel appears to Joseph. But he appears to him in a dream, not in person. And he says to Joseph, God's getting everything lined up here. I got some other good things to bring out to you in just a moment. Now, the birth of Jesus, this is 18 now, 118. Now, the birth of Jesus was on this wise when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. She was found with the child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. That means decide not to, to marry her. They were engaged. Not to marry her, and just, but not to make a big deal out of it because she was pregnant. And then verse 20, and while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, Jesus meaning Savior. Now, the reason I'm pointing this out to you is because the Lord appeared, or the angel appeared, Brother Gabriel appeared to him in a dream four times, four times before all of this was over with. This, you know, Jesus being born and being protected and so forth, and Herod trying to take his life and all that stuff. Uh, Joseph, the angel appeared to him four different times, appeared to Mary just once, and that was in the very beginning, and he appeared to her in person. And from that time on, their lives and their well-being was entrusted in the hands of Joseph. What a wonderful guy this guy had to have been. Can I just say something here to all of our men today? Take care of your family. God knew when he told Joseph, Joseph, and from now on, I'm just going to deal with you. You take care of Mary and you take care of the baby, and he did. There's no place else ever that it ever tells anywhere where, you know, where the angel ever appeared to Mary again. Just that one time. But he entrusted in Joseph the responsibility to take care of his wife and baby. Praise the Lord. And I want to say this to all the men here today. Take care of your families. Brother, let's take care of them. We got to fight for them. You got to protect them from the devil, from the enemy, from the onslaught of all kinds of craziness. I'm telling you what, there's more junk on television. There's more stuff. I've said this more, and I said, I can't get over it. this walking dead stuff. That's of the devil. Man, that stuff's of the devil. You see it in the mall. They got a, you know, booth, and you see pictures. And, okay, that stuff is horrible. You see it on TV, some little advertisement, you know, blah, blah, blah. Some guy all wrapped up, with, you know, with, I don't know. I'm just trying to say here that the world is getting crazy with all kinds of ideas, and we've got to stay on track and say, Jesus, you're what it's all about at Christmas time. I mean, you see very, I went, I went the other day in a, in a store and they had pictures about Christmas. Man, it was all kind of pictures of families to get together, Santa Claus, sleigh bell rides, on and on and on and on. And one little picture of Mary and Joseph and the baby. One little small picture, that whole place with all them paintings and pictures. They had just one little Mary and Joseph picture. 
I thought this is what Christmas is all about right here. And so you and I who are Christians, folks, let's keep Christ in Christmas shown up. Praise the Lord. That's sort of Southern talk there. Let's keep Christmas in Christ shown up. Amen. Praise God. Let's, let's just make a point to do it. I've got to want to blow up manger scenes out on my front lawn. You know, that's about, I got some lights that shine on the house. Just say, oh, I've got lights, you know, just stick them in the ground, shine over there. Okay, there you got it, everybody. But I got this little manger scene. I would flip a button in the evening and it blows up. It's the manger scene, though. It's not, you know, it's not Santa Claus, right? It's not a snowman, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I guess I'm just a little bit jealous for Christ that this thing is all about the birth of Jesus. Amen. But you don't see it anywhere anymore. It's getting funneled away and on more and pushed that to the side. Well, so much for that. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, uh, so Joseph appeared, Gabriel rather appears to Joseph and Joseph has. I want you to go back to Luke again, if you would, to Luke chapter two and, uh, I want to show you something here. Look at two and one. Everybody with me now? Don't leave me now. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. You say, Brother Myers, there's nothing miraculous about this. It is. It's the way God does things sometimes. That all the world should be taxed. And this taxation was first made by Serenus uh, when Serenus was governor of Syria, which was, I think, about 22 years prior to that. They had uh, done a taxation in the Roman Empire, and they found out they had four, four and a half million people in the Roman Empire, and about one fourth of that number of people was Roman citizens, okay, like Paul says, these are born free. And they were Roman citizens and everything. But anyhow, that had been done many years before. So uh, Caesar here, Augustus Caesar said, okay, it's time to have another. Isn't it ironic he would do it at this time? Think about it. Now you stay with me on this. He's sitting in his palace and he's looking at all the revenue and it's getting low, it's getting thin. That uh, that other census, they had taken in $200 million. I'm just quoting for what I've read in other literature about it he was sitting there thinking about it all and bang he gets his big idea I think it's time to take another census so we can take another tax do some more taxation and he thinks that's his idea and God put it there (laughs) God put it there because God had a plan God had a plan he had to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem Because Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem. Why did Jesus have to be born there? Because the scriptures prophesied that he would be. Praise the Lord. Let me go to Micah for a moment. Look over to Micah if I can find that verse of scripture. Where is it? Yeah, here it is. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. This is a prophecy. Micah was a prophet that lived way back in, in the Old Testament. It says, but thou Bethlehem Ephratah. Uh, Bethlehem uh, means house of bread. Ephratah means fruitful. It's another name for Bethlehem. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, that means a little town, yet out of thee shall he, 
If you got your Bible, put it underline, underline or ring around he. That's Jesus. Shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. In other words, Jesus Christ was God Almighty. And so he says he's going to be, he's going to come out of Bethlehem. So Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. So there had to be a reason for them to go to Bethlehem. Well, when the taxation was done, it was required that they go back to the town that they were originally from to be counted in the census. And then from there, then they would be taxed wherever they did live. But they had to go back there. Do you understand what I'm saying here? That God in his great divine plan had it made and fixed up. And this, this Caesar, he thought, oh, I got an idea. Yeah, you got an idea. God put it there. <laughs> so that Mary and Joseph, the whole world had to do that so that Mary and Joseph would be in Bethlehem. God works marvelous things, folks. He's always looking out for us. God doesn't forget us. Remember that. He works in strange ways. You say, Brother Myers, I need a raise. Pray for your boss. Pray that God will put on his heart. God can change things. He can change things. Praise the Lord. I was in, uh, I was in Bible school. And I had a job and was barely making, I wasn't really making enough money at Swift's meatpacking plant. And I was just barely making and paying my tuition. I said, God, I just, I need to have, I need more money. I just don't quite have enough and everything. And lo and behold, I got fired. Fired? Boy, I was so depressed. I'm looking for a job and I got fired on Friday. I go in Monday to pick up my paycheck and they said, oh, by the way, uh, we're not going to fire you. You work in the evening shift. I went to school in the daytime, worked the evening shift. You work the evening shift. We need a man in the uh, bacon department. I was in a, uh, some other department. I forgot what it was. Anyhow, I need a, we need a man in the bacon shipping department, and we're going to put you there. Oh, I said, well, good. Pray. And oh, by the way, it pays more. <laughs> it pays more money. <laughs> Do you work harder? No, actually, you work less. It's just, it's just, uh, you know, it's just a favorite job. And man, what an easy job I had, and what, and, and more income, and God just worked it out. You know, I had nothing to do with it. Let's lift our hands and praise God. I don't know where you are today, but God's able to work out things. Jesus, bless this congregation. Bless everybody here, Lord. You know how to open doors, make ways where there are none. God, we praise your wonderful name. We thank you for the grace of God, the goodness of God, the kindness of God, and the mercies of God in all things, Lord. We praise your wonderful name. Hallelujah. Thank God. Well, I just had to throw that one in. Praise God. Now, let me go a little bit further here. Uh, I want to talk to you about uh, this uh, second chapter here. What happened here is whenever they went down there, they, uh, Mary is going to give birth to Jesus. Let me read these verses to you here. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth and Judea. I'm reading verse 4 into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house of David and lineage, to be taxed with Mary, his spouse's wife, being great with child. And it was so while they were there, the days were accomplished. The days were accomplished. Isn't that coincidental? And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Now, swaddling clothes is strips of cloth. Strips of cloth. And uh, sometimes 
they would tear them off of their own garments, you know, maybe a hem or something they'd tear. But they just, just got rags almost. It might have been cloths that they use in the stable. You know, sometimes when they milk cows and things, they have cloths that they use to wash the, the, uh, wash the cows before they milk them, you know, underneath. And they wash them and everything, and they, then they hang the cloths up to dry and, and so forth. It might have been some of those kind of cloths, but it was just, it was just cloths, that, just swaddling cloths. And they wrapped him in swaddling cloths. And uh, the Bible says that, uh, verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That's that uh, inn is the, the innkeeper said, I'm sorry, you guys, you, there's no place here. Everybody, every room's taken. I went to another inn, no room here, no room there, no room here. And one of them finally says, there's no room here in this inn, but you can stay in the stable if you want to. That's about all I got to offer you. If that guy could have known who Jesus was, and if he could have said, you know what, boy, if I had to do that all over again, I'd say, hey, look, I'll give you the best room I have. Even if I have to kick the people out, you're getting the best, you know, because it's for Jesus. But Jesus came lowly in this world. He was always lowly and humble. He was born humble, raised humble. He lived humble. He says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath no place to lay his head. The only cloak he had was the one that his mother made for him. That's the one that they gambled for at the foot of the cross. That's what he had. That was his clothes. That was his cloak, I should say, you know, the outward, the outward clothes. I'm just pointing out to you here, Jesus came not as a flash, but he came in a humble way. That's why he respects humility. That's why our humility he regards because when we are humble, we regard God as long as we exalt God and lift him up and say, Jesus is not about me, but it's about you. Praise the Lord. And he came as an example to us. When he rode into Jerusalem, he didn't ride on a white stallion. A, a, a stallion, is that it? A white stallion. He rode on a donkey and a, it had a coat, coat, the donkey and a coat. The coat was riding along beside the mother. Just a real pathetic looking situation. But Jesus came as a servant. Praise the Lord. He washed the disciples' feet. You know, he said, if I can't wash your feet, you have no part of me. You know. But I'm just saying here, there's no room in any of this about Jesus' coming that would cause us and make us to be arrogant and high-minded. And I just want to encourage you here today, praise God, to say, Lord, I want you to use me any way you can Reach out to other people, help other people. You know, there's a lot of people that are hurting, there are a lot of people that are lonely. Oh, God, help us, Lord, to sort of reach them or to help them or to be concerned about them. And I want you to know that God will bless us. He'll bless us adequately. Many of you have been well blessed in life. And some of you, of course, are still on that road to those blessings. But always remember that the blessings all come from God. And God honors and respects humility from our hearts. Praise God. I don't know how to describe it anymore. None of us are ever humble enough. I could say, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to show you how to be humble. Like the guy said, he wrote a book on how to be humble by one who knows. <laughs> and the fact that he says by one who knows, it made him not so humble and uh, so forth. But I just want to tell you here that when Jesus was born, it was a very humble environment. Now, next week, I'm going to talk to you about the angel's visitation.
I'm going to talk about to you about some other things that developed here, the, the wise men coming and about the, the people that Jesus' uh, parents met at the temple when they went to have him named and circumcised on the eighth day. I'm going to talk a, a little bit about that. All of these were miraculous events and happen, happenings that developed, praise the Lord, all around the, the, the coming of Jesus. When there had not been a word from God for 400 years, all of a sudden, bang, 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 bang. And all of them are lessons for us today on how we should live for God, walk with God, and serve him. Would you stand with me to get together to, this morning? And let's just lift our hands and worship God and thank him right now.